Hey, Tommy. Hey, Susanna. How's it going? Very well. How are you? I'm good. It's uh, it's getting chilly. Yeah, yeah it's beyond. Like, I feel like the winter is upon us. Believe Did you see it. the Farmer's Almanac prediction? Oh, yeah, it's going to be like a cold snap of a... It's like cold and snowy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super snowy, super cold. And it's supposed to like hit really hard like next week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're finally allowed to like turn your stove on or whatever like like yes. to get your fire going and well get the heat no going. heat before trick-or-treat it's no, after yeah, trick-or-treat it's after trick-or-treat right exactly the heat yeah. is actually on although you cannot tell no I, this is fine <laughs> this is good i'm in my socks and i'm not complaining i'm good you're kind i'm I, like in a puffy jacket I'm inside my house fingerless gloves hoodie whatever yeah yeah it's definitely whatever, turning towards i'm doing the winter. my part to save the planet by having lower consumptions <laughs> fossil fuels so something about an episode about the carbon footprint i don't know I'm, I'll, I'll <laughs> no actually this is this is going to be a good one i'm really excited me too i'm excited about today's topic it's not energy 101 stuff it's a bit broader today and you know we talk a lot about how our energy system needs a total revamp we've got to move off of fossil fuels to clean energy and Burning fossil fuels is putting a lot of carbon pollution into the atmosphere that's making a warming blanket that's wrapped around the earth and that's already causing a lot of problems with our weather patterns. And that has major, major impacts for our ability to just survive on this planet over the next 100 plus years. Right. Yep. And we also talk a lot about how many of the systems that got us to this place need to go. The problem isn't as simple as switching out fossil fuels for clean energy. We have to go a few layers deeper and ask, you know, why did we choose fossil fuels in the first place? Like, what were the decision-making frameworks that said, yes, it's it's okay to harm this other group of people over there so we can extract this energy from, you know, where they live, essentially, and bring it back over here. Oh, sure, it's okay to give cancer and asthma to this group of people to create a power plant in their neighborhood. Fine, fine, yeah, it's good. Let's use more of this energy, even though we know it's going to have catastrophic consequences for our climate and our planet's livability. Like, how is it that these questions were asked and the fair and humane answers were sort of discarded? And the answer is, as we often chat about, that there are many layered systems at work here. Right. And they're all working to keep the status quo in place, working to keep people in power who are in power now, which is mostly white men, already quite wealthy, generally older. Yeah, the head starts. <laughs> exactly. It's who you think it is. Yeah. And it's not just one system, it's many. Right. And those systems allowed them or even incentivized them to make decisions that didn't consider our environment, didn't consider people, didn't consider our health, didn't consider our communities, didn't consider long-term impact on all of us. It was really mostly considering benefits for a very few people. You right. know, it's looking at Profits for shareholders and keeping those who are already powerful, making all the decisions, upholding white supremacy, upholding patriarchy, upholding heteronormativity and ableism and all the other markers of status quo, which upholds the people in power and harms everyone else and pushes them to the edge of society and success. Yep, absolutely. And like something we talk about a lot is, you know, changing, getting down to the root of those systems and, and changing them, changing those systems. So. So change the energy system. Yes, of course. Like, absolutely. No more fossil fuels. Like, power everything with clean energy. Solar, yes. Wind. Yeah, right. Combine it with, you know, good energy storage. And But, like, look past that. Like, what else? How do we change more of the systems that allowed us and incentivized us to make those decisions? Like, businesses are built around 
profit incentives and motivations? Like how do we get to the root underneath those motivations and change the systems that set them up in the first place? Like anyway, the, the reason I'm so stoked is because actually for the first time in over a year of doing this podcast, we've got our first ever guests. And it was almost a Superman theme. Nice. Um, <laughs> it's like the, uh, <laughs> the 1980s or whatever Superman theme. Uh, and we're, we're also stoked because specifically uh, these guests are here from a sustainable MBA program at the University of Vermont Grossman School of Business. And they're going to help us unpack one of the layers of this unjust system, which is the business itself. So our guest names are Jason Nakami and Colin Healy. And Okay, but wait, business? Yeah. I mean, we talk all the time about how business and the relentless pursuit of profits and growth is a big, big part of the problem. Sure, of course it is. But what if there was an alternative, like an alternative hmm. way of approaching your business entity? Okay, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. Well, like, look, Jason, Colin, right, they're experts on helping businesses hone in on their mission and values to create actual grounded strategies, plans, even entire corporate structures that will then support from like a legal and a procedural sense, making decisions that consider people and planet, not just profit and uphold mm. the very mission and values that the company is sort of founded or chartered under. They're going to be helping us actually us as Suncommon draft our latest benefit report which is a document that we're supposed to release each year to outline the goals that we have for the environment and our community of people and how we're going to achieve those goals while running a profitable business. Okay, all right. So these guys are really expert in the whole B Corp movement, certified benefit yep. corporation movement, and they can give us a little bit more information about what a B Corp is mm -hmm. and how that might be kind of an alternative model for us to explore here absolutely and there's some other themes that we'll touch on i mean i learned so much this interview especially with the timing right now of our sort of merger with um, ISUM. like this is a great time to think about how values mission all of these impacts positive impacts that we're trying to make past profit how do they scale what challenges do they encounter as they grow awesome let's, let's do get it, it. <laughs> Well, hello, Colin. Hello, Jason. Thank you so much for joining us on The Solar Spill. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for having us. We are definitely very excited to be here with you guys today. So thank you very much. I guess it might just be good to start with a bit of a self-introduction for our uh, listeners. So uh, Colin or Jason, uh, why, Colin, why don't you go first? Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you've been doing. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Colin Healy, uh, originally from New Hampshire, came up to Vermont to actually take part in UVM's Sustainable Innovation MBA program. Uh, so had a fun year over there with a lot of amazing colleagues, Jason being one of them. Now I am here permanently in Vermont looking for a job to better this planet and better this earth, you know, one day at a time. So definitely taking it in strive and, uh, and looking to make some impact. So very happy to share some thoughts today with you guys. Yeah, definitely. Listeners, take note, we have an available candidate in this crazy <laughs> job market. Give Colin a call. And Jason, how about yourself? My name is Jason Ashami. I'm, I'm originally from New York City. Came to UVM 
for my undergrad and uh, went home to work in the city for a little while, but came back up, same as Colin, to join the Sustainable Innovation MBA program. Vermont's always been a special place in my heart, so I'm happy to be here and happy to be sticking around for the long term. So very stoked on that. And um, through the program, we, you know, the uh, program culminates in a practicum project that we engage in over the summer. And so you get together with a team of students. Colin was on my team uh, involving another, a couple of other students. And we joined forces with Karn Cross from Fresh Tracks Capital and your very own Dwayne Peterson from Suncommon. And basically this was a passion project that they had aligned on where we saw that Vermont was the second state in the country to take on these public benefit corporation rulings, uh, basically allowing a company to take on this new corporate structure that prioritizes stakeholder interests rather than just shareholder primacy. And since Vermont was the second state to take on these, these statutes, they haven't been updated uh, in the time that was necessary. And so our job was to kind of do some research on the ESG space and understand what allows a corporation to engage in these practices in the, in the most conducive way possible, and then design a set of recommendations to restructure these policies so that they uh, create more accountability and create more impactful programs so that companies can not only do better, but also talk about what they're doing in a way that's transparent and in a way that prioritizes stakeholder interests. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Well, first of all, you just mentioned like a number of different terms, ESG being one of them. And I thought like before we kind of dive into the interview portion of things, it might be really good for you guys to give us a sense of sort of like a glossary of key terms that the listener might need to help understand the rest of this episode. Absolutely. Yeah. So as we've gone deeper into this space, we've gone deeper and deeper into the amount of uh, acronyms that exist. And so we call it an alphabet soup of terminology here. Um, ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. And it's basically the three pillars that a company needs to focus on to prioritize those stakeholder interests uh, and generate a meaningful impact. You know, this is kind of an add-on or, or a jump from what CSR began as. Uh, and so it's more focused on these uh, investors and public relations efforts, um, ESG being one of them, uh, PBC, which is one that we use a lot is public benefit corporation, and that is the legal structure, which is compared to a B Corp, which is more just the certification that a company can obtain through B Labs, the regulatory body, which is a nonprofit agency that administers the BIA, which is a benefit impact assessment that you take this test. It's more of a survey. And it basically grades your impact as a company, how you're doing for the world. Uh, Colin, I'm sure there's a number of others that I might have forgotten if you've got any on, on the top of your head there. Oh, you know, a whole lot of bees flying around. So, no, I mean, that basically uh, really sums it up. Like, like Jason just said, the two main types of B entities are that public benefit corporation, the PBC, and the certified B corporation Um which is the B Corp that you'll hear. And again, you know, certified by B Lab, which is a nonprofit that regulates these certifications. And that PBC is more of that, as Jason was saying, the legal structure. And that's, as we were starting to talk about, that's where our work uh, fell during this program. We focus specifically on public benefit corporations and that legal incorporation structure. And basically we worked with, as Jason said, Dwayne and a bunch of other uh, great people out here in the state to really revitalize and reinvigorate the statutes that surround them. So um, yeah, that kind of that kind of pulls all the uh, the bees together. So <laughs> to separate them and bring them together, yeah. Well, thank you so much for the the brief four one one or the TLDR on all these uh, acronyms. That was that was that was the dadliest that was the dadliest dadly joke I've ever. <laughs> there we go. Well, 
I'm chuggy AF, as the kids might say. Um, but no, thank you so much. Um, and that does give us a really good set of tools, language tools to interpret um, this really awesome article. So, you know, a lot of our format with the solar spill is obviously like reacting to current events or reacting to an article that we found. And Jason, you were kind enough to share this article that you recently published. And it was awesome. Like it really gave me a great sense of perspective of like where this space is headed. But maybe we should just start with a, a brief summary. Absolutely. Colin and I have been talking about PBCs and B Corps. And so these are like these separate structures that businesses can take on. But the reality is that any company, whether public or private, or what, no matter the industry or sector you're involved in, you can engage and you should engage in ESG strategies to show that you're a business that has operations and you, you know, put out these you know, externalities into the world, whether they be positive or negative, and you have a responsibility to control those. And so the way that you would do that is by engaging with your stakeholders, anyone who's impacted by your business, this could be internal, your employees, your suppliers, your partners, to external, which is just a, a community located near a manufacturing facility or a community whose well-being depends directly on the operations that your business puts forth. And so in doing so, because every business has a responsibility to control these externalities, ESG is really the call to action for any kind of company to take on these efforts. And so in the article that I wrote about these ESG efforts, the point is that you know, we want to start off with material issues, focusing on what are the direct impacts on your business and what are the direct impacts your business puts forth into the world. We want to talk about stakeholder engagement. So directly engaging with these stakeholders and talking to them and getting their perspectives on what issues they see as most impactful. On top of that, you know, there are other third party standards that you can engage with, the BIA being one of them, like we mentioned before. There's a, a plethora of other ones. You've got SASB, GRI, another alphabet soup of, of uh, regulatory bodies that cover how you're doing and, and will grade you, which kind of outlines your, your risk, which investors are very curious about these days. And then from that is how you talk about these things. So, you know, we hear a lot of greenwashing allegations coming up lately where companies will say that they're making all these impacts, but they're not really validated on the end. And that creates a huge problem because companies will say they're doing one thing, and then the reality is they're not. And so that's really misleading to consumers. And what we want to do here is promote transparency and that you should be talking about your goals and your progress towards these goals, giving anyone who's reading these an insight into your internal lives uh, as the company, you know, being this entity. And so we want to be transparent and we want to talk about progress. If you're not hitting a goal, that's perfectly fine. But explain why that is, you know, show that you're a human and show that you're caring about these things. And it, it will take time to perfect. And that's OK. But we want to talk about that in a way that everyone is okay with aligning with and understanding uh, and not just trying to say all these virtue signaling efforts, like we're doing all this, you know, you want to be truthful and you want to be honest. And so the point of the article was that these aren't things that you need to focus on if you're a PBC or a B Corp, or, or if you're really focused on ESG, this should be something that every company should be looking at and something that everyone should be focusing towards because it's the change that we need to promote these systematic adjustments to our capitalist structure which primarily in the past is focused, focused on shareholder primacy, making sure we get the greatest return to our investors. And what we're calling for here is more of a stakeholder primacy and making sure that as a business, you're using your capital resources to promote good and to benefit all those who might be impacted. So anyone can engage in these practices. Um, you know, they, they do start off rather basic, like you know, I just outlined them in a couple of minutes here. That seems easy enough, but they get kind of complex and they, develop, they, they take a lot of effort to develop along the way. Um, but it's worthwhile and it, it promotes the long-term success of your business 
and the long-term success of anyone who's involved in the economy, which is everyone these days. So for people who are just coming upon these topics for the first time, I want to try and make it a little more real for them. Could you give us an example of like what an ESG type activity would be for a company? I mean, say you had a mid-sized regional solar company, what would like an ESG be for them and why, like, why would people care about it? Absolutely. Yeah. The big one that's on everyone's minds these days is carbon emissions. And so the main, the E of ESG environmental typically focused on reducing your carbon output. You know, this is measured in GHG equivalents. Um, and so if you have any kind of operations, you promote, you release carbon into the atmosphere and this is damaging to climate change. And so a company needs to mitigate those emissions using certain strategies like solar. And so as a solar company, that might seem kind of weird. Like, how do we go about that? You know, we're already using solar, but the truth is, you know, you have installation teams and that travel back and forth. These solar panels come from somewhere and they need to be manufactured, which creates emissions as well. So you're looking at scope one, two, and three emissions, which your scope one and two is just coming from the company directly. And then scope three is what's coming out of the supply chain. And so it gets kind of complicated there on how you measure and how you reduce those. Um, but that's where a lot of the emissions lies in the scope three. So as a solar supplier might say, you know, we want to look down our supply chain and see who's creating the most emissions and how can we mitigate that as soon as possible. And then the other way is also seeing how we can reduce the carbon that's already been put out into the atmosphere by sequestering it, engaging in more community solar project projects so that we can transition our economy to an electrified state where the energy is coming from renewables and it's not coming from burning coal and continuing to release more carbon into the atmosphere. Awesome. Okay. It's a framework to be able to say, these are our goals in terms of how we're impacting everybody else out there, not just our profit, but what's impacts do our business have out in the world and how can we improve those? Seems like such a no brainer concept, but of course we're in the position that we're in because so many businesses haven't done that, right? Like they haven't thought about any of their impacts beyond making money for shareholders. So my next question is we have these goals. We have people with stated attention, you know, organizations with stated um, intentions. Is this really going to work? Tavita and I talk a lot in the podcast about how capitalism and this endless drive to growth is one of the reasons that we're in this place that we're in. And here we are trying to use, again, a sort of for-profit growth model, but change it a little bit in order to make it more conscious. Like, is that going to work? Does it work? Do we have any examples of it working, of it making impact? Yeah. In terms of what you're getting at there is accountability. And that's where everything's leading to. And that's kind of the million dollar question of today is how are these companies, how are these companies, how are we holding them accountable? So, I mean, we're in a time where, you know, customers really do care, especially millennials, Gen Z really care just as much about that company as they do the product they're buying. Um, and so in every market, that conscious consumer is really becoming increasingly present, obviously with greenwashing running rampant, it's a huge problem. And that's where we really see these public benefit corporations and B Corps coming into play. So currently, uh, in terms of accountability, it will step to that way a little bit. Currently, uh, public benefit corporations are held accountable through two main mechanisms. The first being the actual benefit report that these companies must produce either annually or depending on the state legislation biannually. And again, this builds on the need for transparency and accountability. And it's a place for these businesses to present information in a public, uh, in a public report that summarizes these ESG strategies and the fulfillment of these general and specific public benefits 
that are supposedly being created behind the scenes and hopefully, you know, in front of the community's eyes as well. The second form of accountability is actually the benefit enforcement proceeding. And uh, that enables certain stakeholders, usually those holding at least 2% of the company, to raise concerns about the PBC that is not following through on those intended general or specific benefits. Unfortunately, obviously, you know, both systems do have their flaws. Um, the two mechanisms, you know, they push for accountability, but what's truly missing is that self-regulation of the company holding themselves accountable. And speaking of that, that's kind of where the concept of promissory estoppel uh, comes in. And that, uh, for those that don't know the term, is basically just states that if you make a public commitment or a promise as a public benefit corporation would, uh, you are then bound to uphold that commitment in, a, in, a, in the community, in the, in the job, in everything that you do. So what we believe and what we've done throughout our work uh, with Simba and with Fresh Tracks Capital and Suncommon is that accountability can actually be created within the PBC's corporate purpose statement. And that's where a lot of that power lies. So with our research, we've created a report that we could you know, maybe link out or send out later that people can take a look at. It created recommendations for improving the aspects of the statute like accountability. So basically we were using the most conducive ways or looking for the most conducive ways to do this. And what we've recommended in this report is that the current statute be updated to represent the need for actual objective measurement. And we believe that's what's really missing in a lot of these companies' statements. So a specified corporate purpose coupled with the mechanisms for enforcing that purpose prevents businesses from putting that profit over the creation of social good, basically. So setting forth a more measurable, a more concrete purpose within that corporate charter would allow for, you know, those expectations to be set, goals to be created, and that factual evidence to help support and evaluate that company, um, the company's performance, basically. So it ensures the claims that are made are actually seen and upheld by the regulators. And there's, if there is consistent deviation from what they're saying they're doing, hey, it's locked in right here with your mission. Now let's hold these companies accountable. Somewhat of a long-winded answer about accountability, but these are the ways that companies are currently holding themselves accountable in the direction that we would love to see the space move forward. I know Jason could definitely talk about some companies out there that are really doing well in, in the space right now. There's definitely... Just adding on to that, especially for those not entrenched in the space, this seems like these are just do-good activities that companies engage in to boost their marketing morale. But the reality is that there are so many companies out here that are doing this incredibly successfully and that their general public benefit goals, how they're actually benefiting society is tied directly to their profit model. And they're doing it really well. You know, Viva Systems, Lemonade Insurance and Laureate Education are all really large corporations who are public benefit corporations. And look at Ben & Jerry's is a B Corp. That's like the Vermont example. Everyone loves to cite that one because their social mission is fueled by their profit model. You know, their, their mission is not to create profit, it's to generate revenue and capital so that they can then put that towards their social mission. And so this is not only just like a strategy that some companies have designed, it's been proven that this creates long-term success and better top-line growth. You know, just as an example, you know, ETFs that are focused on ESG, these are, um, you know, groups of funds of companies who have an ESG policy or an ESG model built into their, their operations. 19 out of 26 of these ESG ETF funds outperformed the S&P 500 during the pandemic. So you can see that this long-term success prevents and reduces risk, and it creates better access to capital. You have better customer value props, lower cost of your inputs and your supply chain. And so these strategies really are not just like a virtue signaling. They're things that can be done successfully to promote your business and to promote the impacts that your business is now focused on pushing out into the world. So there's a lot of fruitful things coming from there. It seems like 
so much of this narrative, not just of the article, but of the ESGs, you know, the, the importance of the ESG is it's positioned, obviously, to a capital audience. It's like saying, hey, you adopt these kinds of principles and live them. Don't just market them, but like operate by them. And yeah, we have so many examples of these types of companies that carry these charters and do this good, performing better in regular market conditions and in advert adverse market conditions. I wonder if on top of that sort of carrot, that claim, like what are the sticks? What are the enforcement methods that you guys have been alluding to? Because I think I'm, I'm interested in those. And I think there's a there's a sort of nested other question that I can wait to. But first, let's just talk about the carrot. And Susanna, you, you've, you've raised a finger. Yeah, I wanted to jump in and out on that question too, because Colin, you were talking about how there's a lot of self-accountability and I know how tricky that can be. You know, are we depending on a few employees within a company to say, hey, we are staying true to our mission here. I know that businesses, businesses pay attention to legal threats more than squeaky internal wheels. So is there a system for that too? So, I mean, really the the main, as I was kind of alluding to and kind of talk, touched on really briefly, the main system to hold these companies accountable right now is that benefit enforcement proceeding. But really, the only claim that can be brought up is from either those internal parties or the stockholders that hold at least 2% of the company. So these stakeholders that are obviously being affected by externalities have no say in anything that's going on. And that's why we believe one of the recommendations to push for a more concrete purpose statement that factually lays out the stated either either the specific goals or the specific purpose or benefit than if there is, as I was saying, clear deviation from that in multiple years through their reporting as well, then if there's a clear deviation, it'll basically just show stakeholders now have claimed and ground to stand on when raising these claims, because this is what the company's saying they're doing. This is what they're holding true to. And whereas a lot of these corporate purpose statements now are somewhat vague and kind of, you know, they don't really hit the ground with what exactly they're trying to do. If it's not specifically, we're going to cut X, Y, Z from the equation, you know, I mean, they're, they're just kind of broad statements. So if we can really bring these statements together, really, really encompass what the company is looking for in a factual, measurable and third party verifiable way, then that raises the bar basically for all these companies to really act on what they're doing when they have more people watching them and being able to bring up, bring about enforcement against the company itself. You know, this appeals directly to the PVCs and, and it's, it's a corporate structure that we would like to see being pushed forth more because that accountability is there. You make these statements and they have to be followed through. But for companies who are not engaged in those kinds of structures, there are a lot of sticks coming down the line that people are either not aware of or not sure how to respond yet. And that creates a lot of issues for these companies. So, you know, one that pops up right away to my mind is that, you know, President Biden released an executive order back in May asking these financial regulators to kind of standardize how they assess and plan for climate related financial risks. And so in doing so, these policies are focused on like, transitioning our economy to a net zero electrified U.S. economy. And so Congress followed suit by releasing their uh, Corporate Governance Improvement and Investor Protection Act. And all of this is directly relying on the SEC to basically increase what they're considering to be material. Previously, the SEC requires public companies to disclose materially financial risks. But now we're expanding that definition of material to include social and environmental and governance risks as well. And so with the SEC, they recently instituted their Climate and ESG Task Force, which is the governing body that's going to start cracking down on these things to ensure that companies 
are disclosing this information. And we've already seen them acting. Oatly and Allbirds just got hit with some big litigation sanctions because they found that their sustainability claims were not verifiable. They were not backed. And so there are a lot of sticks coming down the line here where the SEC and the government wants to see these companies disclosing the information that people need to know in order to understand what these risks are and how they're working to alleviate them. We just, just public do we just throw in an oh snap, please, because yeah. I just feel like there's so many environmentalists and activists who see companies doing greenwashing, right? And you're basically just like, ah, like you're just shaking your finger at them and nobody cares. And then there's companies like Oatly and Allbirds. I mean, Allbirds has built their reputation on being like so incredibly sustainable and great for the world. And I mean, they got a hand slap. Can you tell us more about that? Did they like they went after them because they were not fulfilling the claims they were making? Turns out the shoes were made of all birds. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Awful. That was the worst. <laughs> you know, the companies like Oatly and Allbirds, like you said, Susanna, they're they're kind of like these staple IPOs that were like, boom, this is a sustainable company with a new model for the future of growth, but their claims are not backed. And so their emission standards were not verifiable through the life cycle assessment they had done to kind of say each shoe produces this much amount of carbon. And so that value was not correct. And people were like, you can't say these things if they're not accurate. And whether or not this was a slip up on their end or, or if the methodology was just miscalculated, um, the thing is we want to make sure that companies are, are saying the right thing, doing the right thing, and also walking the walk, not just talking the talk here. We want to make sure that, uh, they're talking about these material issues in a way that we can fact check them and, and gut check them to ensure that they're not just making this stuff up to kind of join the movement. We want to see innovation here to like lead this movement. And the SEC is really cracking down to ensure that these public companies are not fooling people just to increase their returns here. That is so exciting. We don't want to see any businesses, you know, fail, but I just, I know so many directors, I mean, maybe some of them. Don't you, Susanna? Yeah. I mean, I don't know why I said that, but I know so many folks who are doing sort of like director sustainability type work. And I know that it's so hard for many of them to just feel like they have teeth and influence with their executive teams because so many of the executive teams see it as right? as like fluffy stuff. We're like, yeah, this is great for marketing, whatever. But the fact that a regulation like this is now coming down the pipeline where it's like, no, we have to walk the walk, like, or walk the talk. Uh, we can't just say this stuff. Like we will be held accountable by a government body. Like that's just so, I don't know. It, that feels exciting to me. Something that Jason and I have been talking about throughout this whole project is that, you know, the accountability is coming. It's coming down through the government. It's trickling down. Like Biden has this passed uh, Elizabeth Warren with her Accountable Capitalism Act a few years back. The accountability is on its way and we're, we're trying to make that push for companies to start doing that self-regulation and self-accountability as we, as we move forward. The question I'm about to ask is actually not to pour any cold water on this. I'm actually looking to my experts to give me a reason to hope because a lot of this podcast, we deal with some grim, dark stuff. Grim, dark. Ah, the genre. Like we deal with some grim, dark stuff. And then we try to find some like bright in the corners a bit and find a silver lining. ESGs, their performance in the market 
the carrots all make sense to me. And then we bring the government, basically we bring the functional grist of how democracy, at least in America works. I even have a German example, but uh, in America, at least like our ESGs and is this space resilient, resistant, compatible with the sort of contrapuntal back and forth swing of the way that our government works? Like an executive order can temporarily at least you know, stop the legislation that Joe Biden pushes through should everything forbid another four years of the other guy uh, or someone like-minded who puts profit and sort of the churn of just public opinion before our long-term sustainability on earth. There's the American sort of tradition of throwing out and putting back and throwing out and putting back. Uh, And even in Germany, we're seeing like, you know, on a sort of procedural level, the Tesla Gigafactory like skipped the actual process of going through an assessment of the land that it would be built on and the communities that it would affect, the ecology that it would affect, and the things already built. So now the government is complicit in basically being like, oh yeah, the second check is just a formality. Usually it happens before construction. But so what really at the heart of it, I'm asking like, are these entities resilient, resistant, compatible to this weird swishy swashy of government? Is legislation the final and only most important enforcement mechanic, or are there other ones that we should be considering? Please give me reasons to hope. (laughs) (laughs) There's always reason to hope. The unfortunate fact is that our government and our litigation is like very slow moving. And as we know, things can seem promising and then get pulled back at the last second just to lead to really big disappointment. The other side of that is, as we've seen, you know, regulations change throughout time, businesses are very good at avoiding these and working their way around them. You know, we see this through tax structures where you can create small little tax entities that allow you to not pay any taxes. Some large companies that we know very well. Um, So the, the... the question becomes, how do we allow our government to work quickly? And how do we make sure that these businesses don't weasel their way around these new regulations? And that's going to take some time to kind of narrow in. And we have a lot of champions in the public eye who are really doing this well. And we look to them for examples to see that this model is proven and it works and it's influential and it's positive for society. But we also look to consumers and investors to kind of vote with their dollar. Um, you know, a lot of us might feel powerless against these big corporations that like, oh, one purchase isn't going to change anything. But if you change the way you shop and you change your behaviors and you voice these opinions to the public, it creates a momentum because companies have to follow where you're voting with your dollar. They're not going to continue to do the things they're doing if they don't have the capital to support those activities. And so everyone has the opportunity to kind of influence this change. And it will be slow moving and it will take time and it will, it might backstep every now and then, but that's just to make sure that we're on the right track and that we're continuing along the path that's going to lead us to where we need to be. Now, the question here is, is that going to be quick enough? Only time will tell that. We do need rapid change here, but the systematic approach to changing capitalism is what we're really talking about here so that the system is designed to benefit all those involved, not just the people who are making the most money. No, I love it. That's so great. And that does give me lots of reasons to hope. And I think also to not center on America as narrow as the American podcaster who's like mostly talking about America. Thank you. Every joke about Americans that I just validated. We know that we are among the largest carbon producers, but we're not necessarily the only one in the room. Like China presents a massive sort of short-term, mid-term and long-term problem in terms of carbon output. And I think, are there like international perspectives that we need to understand? Like, does this ESG structure 
travel well? Or are there other systems elsewhere that are trying to achieve the same things, but in sort of different and nationalized or culturally specific ways? The one that comes to mind for me right away, and I think Colin might have another one in mind here, is um, the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulations in Europe, the SFDR for another acronym, if anyone was keeping track. <laughs> I think I've got some scratch notes somewhere. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, let's get a tally going here. How many can we hit today? Yeah, I'll like apply some dings after the fact and post. Yeah, totally. <laughs> there you go. So the SFDR went into effect in March in, in, the, in Europe, and they set a really high bar for disclosure and regulations, proving that, you know, there are other countries who are ahead of the bar, you know, ahead of the line here and are making headway to kind of increase this momentum. And the U.S. is going to have to follow suit because a lot of our public companies work internationally and vice versa. And so there needs to be international frameworks that align all of these so that everyone's moving at a similar pace. The what came to mind with me is like looking at the UK and they have the community interest companies, which is very similar to public benefit corporations. And they're just regulated a little bit different, a little bit more structured as well. So that'd be something to look into and how to approach a lot of these problems as well. And I think they're doing something very special over there as well. There's one in France, the Entreprise à Mission. I, I'm going to butcher that. But. <laughs> it's okay. Between us, it's okay. Whatever. <laughs> So yeah, I think that I think at least that covers some of the high points that I had uh, for that awesome article that you wrote, Jason. Thanks so much again for sharing that with us. And we only have a few minutes left, so I wanted to you know pull some ideas out here for our, our listeners to remember. So one of them that I heard loud and clear was definitely vote with your dollars. Spend your money with companies who are doing good work like this, who are actually writing ESG goals and following up with them. And if you find out that they are not doing what they're saying that they are doing, then Stop spending your dollars there. That's a great take home. But something else that I'm wondering about is, you know, in our kind of B Corp community here in New York and Vermont, what are take homes for businesses? You know, if, if we have other PBCs in our orbit, in our, in our listenership here, you know, what are the flags for them with this work? It feels like one right away is write your benefit report, <laughs> right? Hold yourself accountable. But in, in your work, looking at these organizations, looking at those who do it well and those who aren't doing it so well, what are sort of the stumbling blocks that you're seeing or flags that you're seeing that, that we want to put out to our business community of this is stuff you guys should keep in mind too? Great question. It's funny that you mentioned the benefit report because I, I know a lot of the uh, companies we talked to in Vermont, out of state as well, were not, not aware of these benefit reports that they had to be producing. Either A, they didn't know about it or just B, weren't producing them just because they didn't want to. So that presents a challenge on its, on its all on its own. So that definitely needs to be addressed. And that's a red flag for a lot of companies if they're not even putting that out there. But I think one of the biggest things I think about when looking at public benefit corporations, B Corps, and these, you know, these, these central focused type of companies is scale and how important that is. And with, you know, public benefit corporations, that, that form was designed to protect the mission of the company. So when it does go public, and, you know, there's several traded public benefit corporations, as Jason mentioned earlier, there's Viva Systems, Lemonade Insurance, Laureate Education. And a lot of these companies are using this form of incorporation as a competitive advantage. So, you know, they, they can use this to go to, you know, top tier venture capitalists that provide equity funds and they can say, hey, here's how we're, here's how we're different. Here's how we're doing it. Here's our competitive advantage. And this is what makes us special. Obviously scale, you know, does present its challenges when growing exponentially, you can lose the focus of the mission or, you know, the company can become decentralized. But the whole purpose is to really protect that mission of the company and enable the company to enshrine that mission legally into its DNA 
and uh, signal to the signal to the marketplace that it's committed to that sustainable and responsible growth. Two quick things to add on there. You know, like Colin said, the PBC was designed to protect the mission of the company. So for entrepreneurs starting a business, incorporating as a PBC allows you to take ownership over those that mission, no matter how big your company grows. So if you grow and you're looking to, you know, kind of sell out and, you know, take a profit and, and or even get acquired by a larger organization, it's no longer about who offers you the most money to buy your business. It's about who's going to continue to uphold and protect that mission that you work so hard to integrate into the business from the start. And so the other thing that comes to mind with that as well is that this model here that we're calling for requires an intense amount of collaboration because a lot of the concepts that we've talked about today are still not on a lot of people's radars. And they're also kind of tricky. How do you balance that profit with the mission? It, it's a hard thing to muster if you've already had all of your processes developed over you know decades. And so this collaboration means businesses should be talking to others in the space. They should be consulting with experts who understand how these processes work well with your business model. And also just talking to other businesses who have done this. It's not a zero-sum game. We're not competing against each other here. We're all in this together because if we don't have collective action, these movements are going to fail and they're not going to have the impact that they have the potential to create. So talk to these other businesses, talk to your partners, engage with them, talk to their stakeholders to get a different perspective. And the more ways that you can kind of align those interests and gather these inf this information and these resources, the better off everyone is going to be. Well said. Anytime we can hit home to work together. I feel like that's a, another podcast uh, <laughs> totally. That's justice. one of our staples. Like, Collectivism. Oh, yes. Yeah, Work exactly. together. Community. Power of friendship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but we truly do believe it. And I think like it's so great to have audience with you guys because we are, as some common, we're going through this exact sort of process. We're wandering into a space with a partner that we've merged with that is turned us into this publicly traded entity and they have every stated intention to learn from our work in this space and sort of carry it up. So like, I guess some of the practical questions I might ask you or, or, or a practical question I might ask you is like, how does scale potentially affect this, this challenge? Does it, it, are there particular problems that scale can bring up as we push forward into this new space? Certainly there's like an ideological friction between the desire of a publicly traded company to constantly grow. And then like, you know, maintaining the balance of your people or commitments to planet, etc. right? Like your values, your state of values. So like, are there any, what's your perspective there? Like what are the sort of challenges specifically for scale? Um, yes, I mean that, and that's a huge, you know, it's a huge question to tackle too, because obviously, the main goal of that company is to grow, is to scale, is to be that become the beast of a company they want to become. So, one of the biggest challenges presented uh, to B Corps or PBCs again is really losing focus of that mission with scale, and that come in a plethora of ways. But when again, when I was I was kind of just saying, when a company grows, they often, like I said, become decentralized which can really make the planning and implementation process that much more difficult when you're trying to grow as a company. Your goals, you know, they may also shift and you might also lose the champions of the program in within the company itself, those employees, and they could get pulled into other tasks, whatever that may be. So it really is imperative that the mission is integrated directly, directly into the business model. And in order to ensure that the mission grows with the company at scale. So that I, in my eyes, that's the biggest challenge that I see when it comes to scale. Obviously, you know, there are advantages, as I've said, as I said before, it, it allows these types of companies, these PBCs, these B Corps to really enshrine that mission. And it's a powerful signal to the marketplace that the company's committed, as I was saying before, to that sustainable 
resource. But at scale, you know, this commitment and impact you generate only grows as the company has access to more capital. Yeah, I, I think Colin hit the nail on the head. As you grow, you know, you can't lose focus of this mission as the company changes shape. One of the things, which is more of just kind of logistics, a little bit more technical, is that if you're going, let's say, if you're going through the benefit impact, the BIA, it might be harder to kind of measure your metrics because you have to pull this information from so many different places, or you might have multiple business entities that you have to measure. And so when that comes into play, you might only be able to certify certain parts of your business, not the entire overarching organization. Those are technical challenges that can be overcome, but they're still an interesting one to tackle. Um, But then, like Colin said, you have, as you grow, you have greater access to capital. So you know, just kind of talking in, in your guys' point of view here, you know, you have access to this giant organization who brought you public and they have so many more resources, their network is larger. And so these things allow you to just only increase the impact you're able to create because you have access to so many more things that you can pull from to generate a, a meaningful program here. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And thank you both for like full-throated answering, like the nebulous, like the nested question was like, capitalism how do we do this so thank you for actually giving giving us some straight answers that was awesome absolutely yeah no doubt yeah thanks so much for being with us guys and chatting through this stuff i think you know something that to and i always talk about is just how we really need systems change to solve climate change it's not just about switching over from fossil fuel to clean energy there's a lot of systems that have you know, works dysfunctionally to get us to this point. And it definitely feels like capitalism is the elephant in the room sometimes. Um, but it's been really great to, to deep dive with you guys on public benefit corporations and how those could be part of the solution. Thank you so much for being with us, guys. Do you have any yeah. any final words of wisdom you want to leave us or our listeners with? Uh, wisdom, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, but I uh, just I wanted to thank you guys so much for having both of us. Absolutely. I, I'm very appreciative to be on the show here. As I've been listening to your guys' podcast and the, and the episodes that have, uh, you know, before this one, I really appreciate how deep in the weeds you guys are able to get. And then at the same time, pull it all back in and generate this meaningful message and, and you know, tie a nice bow on it that there is hope and that, uh, you know, we can get really deep, but there's also these high level things that everyone needs to keep on their radar. So it's really great to be a part of that. And any chance we can get to talk about these concepts is, is incredibly valuable because that's the only way they're going to continue to grow and develop is by talking with more people and sharing that there is, you know, there is hope. Like you said before, Tavi, you know, there is a way to go about this that can be done successfully and impactfully. And, you know, Colin and I really just want to keep pushing that message and, and working to enable more companies to achieve that and, and do great things. Awesome. Oh, guys, thank you so, so much. Like on behalf of SunCommon, but the Solar Spill especially, uh, it's been a joy. It's been an honor having you guys as our first guests on the entire (laughs) podcast after a whole year. And it feels like a really appropriate bit of timing as we take this leap into the next challenge of sort of scaling and growing. And so I think it'd be great. Maybe someday soon we could have you guys back on for a little checkup. Uh, how are we doing, if you will? <laughs> um, hey, we're we're always of... happy to critique. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, and we love taking it, man. It's like one of the things that we're learning from this process that we're collaborating with you on is like, not just the self-reporting, but the actual, you know, genuine commitment to self-improvement and optimization, not just in a fiduciary sense, but in a real values sense. So yeah, Jason and Colin, thank you guys so much. Right? That was such good info. Yeah. I mean, look, everything. Thank you, Jason. Thank, thank you, you, Colin. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Thank you, Colin. And <laughs> thank so you to, uh, to our listeners for 
sort of going through this. This is a really good episode, I think, to share if you know someone who is either in business as a B Corp, trying to become a B Corp, really interested about what a benefit corporation is about. So definitely feel like, I feel like this is a good share one um, because yeah, Colin and Jason just tomes of information mm-hmm. and expertise. I feel like we're so lucky to get to work with them as Suncommon as we sort of draft up that that benefit report. Totally. It's just, I mean, it's so inspiring to think that a solution already exists for one of the biggest parts of the problem, exactly. right? So like just tying it, you know, put, putting the bow on it back to the beginning. We always talk about how business and the relentless pursuit of growth and profits is a huge part of the problem and how we made some of the you know poor decisions yeah. to keep continuing on with fossil fuels. And here is a model where businesses can legally incorporate values you know, into their into their structure. And they can say, no, we're not going to make decisions based purely on profits. Exactly. We are going to consider these other things. And it doesn't matter if we get a new CEO. It doesn't matter if we get new employees with different ideas. It's legally in our corporate structure to do this. Exactly. And how cool and inspiring. Because like businesses, they have so much influence oh my in our world, in our government. And here's a model to say, take your influence and do something really good with it. I love it. And, you know, another sort of takeaway for me from the conversation was, you know, every time I try to sort of throw a, a problem at them, be it the sort of weird, you know, back and forth contrapuntal nature of how governments work or make their decisions or legislate. Like we kept on coming back to like that relationship again between sort of business and consumer, that sort of vote with your dollar Yes. Concept that came up. And I'm thinking, especially after, you know, there was just an election cycle just last, you know, just last week, just the week of this recording. It's like you think about sometimes, you know, even democracy as a whole can feel like you're fighting an uphill battle. But like you also have that power to vote with your dollar, that, that power to like support the types of businesses that you want to see more of in the world. And what was really apparent to me through this conversation was like, Yes, B Corps are real, but they're also constantly becoming. There Mm. is that same sense of competition in any marketplace. Like, do I buy this shampoo or that shampoo? Do I like get my solar from this installer or that installer? But we can make those decisions and then support the B Corp movement very directly through just choosing where we go and where we spend our money. Honestly, that's one of the things that to me, at least reflexively, was just like, oh, okay, I'm in the right place. Like, I feel good. You know, as as much of a, you know, being a B Corp presents daily challenges, how we message, who we're talking to, how do we practically break down more, even more barriers to clean energy so more people can get in? Those are the kinds of challenges that, like, I want to have. I would rather be throwing myself as th- at those problems every day as a marketer, as a member of a company, as a, as a, as a team member, than, like, just, like, what is it going to take to, like, squeeze every drop of profit out of this zip code or that, you know, marketplace? whatever. There's a real, I'm buoyed a lot by this conversation. And I feel proud to, you know, say on a basic level, hey, like, if you are considering going solar, there is a raft of companies that you can look to, ourselves included, that are on that mission track and trying to legitimize B Corps in that way. So if you're in Hudson Valley, capital region of New York, if you're in Vermont, at least give us a look. We're at suncommon.com and we'll be happy to of educate you and like help you along in your journey to go solar yeah and if you're a business interested in these ideas get in touch with your local um b corp group yes um here in the hudson valley we um are closely affiliated with the uh, b local nyc group which is kind of like the new york city group of b corps 
And up in Vermont, you can join the Vermont Business for Social Responsibility group, VSR. Nice. Yes. We're actually really active in both groups and um, both of them. And if you're in other parts of the U.S. or around the world, uh, just check out B-Lab because they're the group that runs a lot of um, just resources for businesses who want to take this route. It's, it's a really wonderful community to be a part of. And uh, we've done great partnerships with like Seventh Generation, for example, yes. trying to get things like the CCIA passed mm-hmm. in New York. It's just a wonderful community of businesses that all are kind of pointed towards this socially responsible model. And, you know, in that vein, trying to help each other out, create community yeah. and make it happen. Yeah. So again, for The Solar Spill, I'm Tavi. I'm Susanna. Thanks so much for listening now.